Welcome to Law X.0, a Bloomberg Law podcast dedicated to seeing around corners and preparing you for the next version of the legal industry. Welcome to Law X.0. I'm Meg McAvoy. And I'm Dory Goldstein. We're legal analysts for Bloomberg Law. So, Dory, today we're talking about a subject that is one that I write a little bit about and do research on, which is law firm innovation. We have uh, not one but three guests joining us today from Oric. Oric has been named the most innovative North American law firm by Financial Times for the past three years. I'm really excited to learn about this. Um, Because we have three guests, why don't we just dive right in? Welcome to all of our guests. Wendy Butler-Curtis is Chief Innovation (laughs) Officer at Oric. Kate Orr is Senior Innovation Counsel, and Daryl Shetterly is Director of Auric Analytics. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Uh, so I'd like to start by having you all just sort of briefly describe your roles, if you wouldn't mind, because uh, Chief Innovation Officer, Innovation Counsel, Director of Analytics, these are roles that are becoming more common at law firms, but that our listeners, uh, even those who are who are at law firms, may not be familiar with. So tell us a little bit more about what you do. So I'm Chief Innovation Officer. That is, as you mentioned, a fairly new role. Our strategy at Oric is to continually innovate so that we're constantly increasing our client service and our client value. And it's my job to really execute on that strategy. And that means a lot of different things and probably helpful to be a bit more specific and practical about what we do. So Kate and I, and you'll hear from Kate in a minute, do a lot of client consulting helping our clients and their legal departments understand the innovation in their industry, Hmm. understand innovation in the legal industry, and to really uh, benchmark what is happening in their peer legal departments and how change in talent model, technology, and processes, and then in particular, data analytics can help them better serve their clients. We work internally to expand the client service offerings to better match our clients' needs Everything, again, from people, process, and technology, creating solutions that actually allow our clients' businesses to have self-service legal advice, to think about the delivery of legal services um, as much as a platform as anything else. We have dedicated groups. So we have an innovation team. We have Oric Analytics that Daryl will talk about. We have CaseStream that Kate will talk about. Um, We work closely with our chief talent officer to offer new skills and training to our attorneys. And then we work closely with our Skunk Works, our labs, and our IT department to evaluate technology in the market and to also build custom solutions when we don't find something in the market that our clients need. Hmm. So maybe I'll stop there. I could probably talk for an hour about the role, but hopefully that's enough of a teaser to give some meaning behind what it means to execute on that strategy and maybe pass it over to Kate for a second. Sure, thanks. This is Kate Orr. Um, I really, am, as Senior Innovation Counsel, and responsible for fully supporting the innovation strategy that Wendy just articulated. So um, what I always am careful to articulate is that our strategy, we have two customers and two important clients. That's our internal teams within the firm and how we're delivering legal services. And then we also work directly with our clients on their own legal operations and how they can improve their business lines and operations. So really looking at efficiency and quality and not just cost savings. Uh, Many folks tend to go to cost first, that this is all about saving money, and that is a natural, um, hopefully, result. But we really hone in on how can we do what we're doing better and faster, but really maintaining, if not increasing, the quality of our work at the back end. I also, as Wendy alluded to, um, lead case stream at Oric, which is an internal, um, internally designed 
process and system for managing our complex litigation matters and many of our transactional matters. Uh, and so I, I wear that hat as well in addition to my innovation role. And it really you know, helps keep me connected with the day-to-day -day practice and mm -hmm. understand what our teams are doing and the problems they're grappling with to help them better and identify um, solutions. So I sit on the innovation team with Wendy and Kate, as you just heard about, and then also lead Oric Analytics. So Oric Analytics is a division, about 100 people, that sit in Oric um, and alongside of our practice group, attorneys, our clients, and we look at integrating technology, process discipline, and different types of timekeepers, attorneys, um, other types of professionals, statistician, whatever it is, into the deal or litigation life cycle. So we drive down cost, increase quality by um, delivering different legal scalable services, products. That's the idea behind Oric Analytics. And mm. so we are based here where I am at our global operations center in Wheeling, West Virginia. We've got more than 300 people here. Wow. This is an innovation hub. My my day-to-day my -day focus is not just on technology, where we spend a lot of time. You know, we have Oric Labs, as Wendy mentioned, and we um, we build our own tech in areas. But the real driver of legal technology innovation is the 600-plus uh, companies that are founded by people with lots of energy and vision and are trying to change the way we deliver legal legal services. So hmm. we spend a lot of time monitoring those companies and thinking about where they'll be and how they'll change the way we practice law over the next few years. Um, I'm also a Six Sigma black belt, so I spend a lot of time thinking about process and making sure that we're being intentional about delivering process, uh, workflows, quality control, metrics, tracking, budgeting, forecasting, all in the context of scalable legal services. So that's me. We'll talk more about work analytics, but that's my introduction. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. And all, I mean, it's just it's just incredible because everything you're talking about is just so different from the traditional perspective of of a law firm, um, how can we how can we do this better? How can we do it more efficiently? In some cases, how can we actually build less time on something? Um, so it's just it's fascinating to speak with you all. So we actually gave an award at our last holiday party to the attorney who um, who who cost us the most money by <laughs> really <laughs> coming up with a solution that actually reduce the number of hours on a project substantially. And it was a way to trumpet to the entire department and the firm that we value efficiency. It's not just something we talk about. Wow. That's so interesting. And I'm I'm interested to hear more about that. But before we get into the nitty gritty of it, can you talk a little bit about what's going on in the legal industry right now that really requires this innovation? There are really two drivers and we could talk for an hour about this, but I would flag technology and economics, and neither of those are unique to the legal industry. Right. I mean, each of us is inundated every day with advances in technology, and what we're doing in our day-to-day -day lives naturally flow into how services are delivered. Things are just changing. I was at a doctor's office recently and had an automated check-in. I checked myself in through a kiosk. Mm -hmm. You know, now if you have a sore throat, you don't need to go to your doctor's office. You can go to a pharmacy and, you know, see an urgent care clinic there. The technology is allowing service delivery to change across all industries. And it really, from my perspective, is foolish to assume that that isn't impacting or shouldn't happen within the legal services. And at the bottom, the economics, the reality is, is that our clients are sophisticated and they're asking us questions about how we are changing how 
using technology and how we're improving our legal services. And the reality is that we have to have the answers, uh, hence the innovation. And how do you, I mean, this goes back to your point, Daryl, about uh, about awarding the attorney who costs the firm the most money. Uh, how do you all go into these types of changes without fear about things like profitability? I think um, it would be somewhat insincere to say that there aren't instances of fear. Hmm. If nothing else, people fear change. Um, but we, our chairman and our firm leadership, and I hope very much our the innovation team on the phone, have really worked hard to help everyone understand that all of this is to allow each of us to better enjoy what we do, to contribute at our highest and best value, and not have to do things that we don't enjoy or could be automated. Mm-hmm. Um, we have created incentives to really communicate that we are sincere and committed to all these things that we're talking about because there is a lot of hype in the market. And so, for example, our associates get credit towards their bonuses and their hour requirements for innovation. So we are one of the first firms to create creditable innovation hours. We have created staff positions where part of the job description is to identify inefficiencies in the way we work Mm. and make suggestions for process workflow. We include everybody in the firm um, in this concept of there should be ways that we can do things better. How can we better understand our clients' needs? Sure. Interesting. This may be a question that you three have different perspectives on from your from your different seats, but what's the most important aspect of the legal innovation that you're engaged in? I think at Oric there are two critical components. We are really focused on the innovation that our clients are facing and actually building in their own industries. And so focusing on how do we better understand the transformation in their industry so that we can be better lawyers and service providers. And so oftentimes these discussions are framed, and I know we've done that a little bit here about what's changing in law, but really to drive this to understand, to increase the value that we bring to our clients, which is our core goal, you have to understand our clients' business and the pace of change in almost every um, in every industry. Hmm. And then second we really embrace value and are trying to drive change in the change in what constitutes a legal team. So for a long-term, legal teams were contemplated as strictly lawyers, or when you talk about a legal team, it's using nomenclature like lawyer and Mm non-lawyer. And we just don't think that way. So we really think about the legal professional, and our teams have data scientists, data analysts, economists, project managers, um, and we're really business analysts. So the team is really trying to and evolving to mirror the changes in in-house legal departments, but also to much more look like a business team. For me, I want the legal innovation that we do to not just be a different way that somebody in the firm handled a task or a new technology we've procured, but rather a different way that Oryx culture operates. So whatever change we decide to implement needs to be integrated into the broader firm fabric or DNA or culture so that it's a way Oric does that task rather than something that's driven by an innovation team sitting off in Wheeling or in an ivory tower somewhere. This needs to be broad-based and comprehensive across the firm. The future is never arriving all at once, so there will always be your leaders and laggards, 
but if we only count innovation by what the leaders are doing, I think we miss the broader impact, the broader change opportunity. And I'd highlight, Wendy had touched on this earlier, but really involving everyone in the process, making innovation part of each of our jobs, not just the innovation team. It, you know, it does help take away the mystery, the fear, and it really helps invest each of us in, in it. Uh, one thing that we've done recently, we're now crowdsourcing our innovation ideas and projects that are generated within the firm um, on an internal portal that we've built called Observatory. So at any time, anyone within Oric can go to Observatory and see what people are working on, see what innovation ideas are in the hopper, which have been executed on, and which are in progress. So really empowering people to think creatively about their own practices um, and how they may, you know, take one person's idea and apply it in another area uh, and aligning our ideas and our team members to work together on innovation. The number of people internally at Oric who, because we can track the metrics, we're all about metrics, and so we can see how many internal folks go to the observatory to see what others are doing to be innovative and then to offer their assistance. And so mm -hmm. what you see is rather than having three people across the firm toiling away on an idea in, in isolation, mm -hmm. thinking no one else cares, you get those folks um, coupled up together. A team is stronger. You get more energy. And the firm can see what they're doing. And so others can pitch in, support them, thumbs up them. It's a great um, it's a great crowdsource opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. So what does that look like in practice? By crowdsourcing the our active innovation projects, um, that's in some instances generating new ideas because as people think about and their ideas and then that early seed phase, looking at other people's ideas often inspires and helps you focus your thinking because the observatory, the tool that Kate and Daryl have talked about, not only crowdsources the idea, but it has an automated project plan mm -hmm. that you use to kind of develop and take from the abstract to the potentially deliverable um, concept of the idea. It also, as Daryl mentioned, the outcome of crowdsourcing is there may be somebody in a different office in a different practice group who has a similar problem who's thinking about it, and so it connects people, and we've had that happen on um, several related ideas, and then some of the ideas that have actually we've built as a result of the observatory or that have been um, published, we've built apps um, that are client-facing or internal. We've also done process mapping. So somebody will think about something in their practice and say, there's got to be a more efficient way to do this. And so a member of the innovation team will sit down with them and process map and then determine where could we use a different kind of subject matter expert or where could we use technology better or is the task that you're doing actually a task that's not even necessary? And, and that can be a somewhat unsettling and shocking at first um, observation, mm -hmm. and yet incredibly liberating. If you're spending 10% of your time on a report or an analysis or something that nobody's using, and suddenly someone frees you to stop doing that, um, that really can have an impact on people's overall satisfaction and their ability to focus on the things that really do have the highest best value, mm -hmm. and also that they find most rewarding. Part of this, these innovation projects are about creating a higher purpose for your lawyers. So law is obviously not an industry that's getting high marks for uh, <laughs> participant satisfaction. And so could you talk a little bit more about why it's important to find a higher purpose for lawyers? Absolutely. And I hope it comes through in the voices of the, you know, each of us on the phone how much we really 
love what we do, and we really want that for all of our colleagues. And so this looks like a, you know, a couple different things. Avoiding the things that make you crazy. Um, giving each of us, right? I mean, that sorry, sounds are we, amazing. Are we laughing too much at that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but also, on a very serious note, we are one of the professions that really struggle the most with mental health issues. And it's a profession mm-hmm. that doesn't always have boundaries, can be very unpredictable. And one of the intended, but sometimes not quite as intended or slightly unintended benefits is with a different team model, with different technology, with data analysis, there can be greater predictability. And Mm. you can have other people step in, whether it's remote work or otherwise, so that you're not having to make the same kind of personal sacrifices. You can work remotely. You don't have to necessarily travel for something. Um, Our chief talent officer has done a series of extraordinary things, including making mindfulness a core value for the firm and very much a part of our day-to-day life. And so mindfulness has all the reasons that we all talk about, about why it's so important for self-care. But also if you're mindful, if you're truly practicing the tenant, you're present in the moment and therefore exponentially more empowered to be creative and to look at something not multitasking, not being distracted, not feeling overwhelmed, but rather really able to come with all of your skills, all of your ideas in the moment. Uh, also, we, I think there's been a generation of lawyers who face a series of challenges that at least I'm old enough that I think I was fortunate to miss this period, but a lot of redundant tasks mm-hmm. um, because of the exponential growth of information a lot of time looking at documents, but not spending as much time doing analysis. And we really believe that with all the innovation that's happening, we're bringing back to our lawyers the most complex work, the, the tasks that they went to law school to you know, really endeavor to solve, the things that when you tell your family and friends, what do you do? Those are the things that we're not going to replace with robots or artificial mm-hmm. intelligence or process mapping. Rather, artificial intelligence, robots, process mapping, new team structures are going to give you more time to do those things that you find most rewarding and are why you spent all that time in school. So for the record, yes. um, I do spend my days double booked and overlooked. So <laughs> Just for the record. Mindfulness for me is an aspiration for 2020. <laughs> It's on my to-do list. That's a great goal. (laughs) In in addition to mindfulness, which we're all working on, what are those law students right now, the young lawyers or just lawyers at firms who aren't as maybe innovative, what skills should they be trying to acquire or focusing on so that they can succeed in this new type of law firm? So, you know, there's a funny um, assumption in your question that I'd love to pull out. Uh-huh. And there's actually several leading law professors that have written on this. Okay. Um, the youngest lawyers may be the most innovative. Mm. You know, they are not fully trained yet. Mm-hmm. They haven't been taught some of the things that have been well published about and they have the <laughs> limits of a law firm culture. And they're uh, the generation that's grown up with technology. And they don't know how things work. You know, the more you know how things work, it's harder than to reimagine how they could work. Hmm. And so we are using our first years, we're using our law students in our summer associates in our hackathons, but we're really focusing on keeping that creativity and that outsider's perspective as long as we can so that they Hmm. do challenge. Well, do you really have to do it that way? 
or isn't there a better way, or maybe this isn't really why I went to law school. Is this really my highest and best use? I mean, more at a, a higher level, not at the nitty-gritty skills. I mean, I could talk for hours about the nitty-gritty skills. I think project management is key, being familiar with the legal technology and tools and how to use them in your practice. All of those are key. But I think from the lawyer perspective, is really getting comfortable with not needing the right answer all of the time. Um, mm. In law school, you are it is drilled into you to find the right answer, and there is only one right answer. Uh, and it's important as an innovator and to foster change to not be afraid of not having the right answer and to ask those questions, the why, do we need to do this in the first place that Wendy was articulating. And then also, and actually we're working with a number of clients on this question as well right now, is really not just when you, you come in and you sit down and you're thinking about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, not just asking, well, how could I do this faster or, you know, better, faster, stronger, mm -hmm. but really do we need to do this at all? Why hmm. are we doing this? And it's interesting that our clients are asking themselves many of these same questions within their legal operations departments. You know, do we even need this kind of agreement? Why do we have this process to begin with? Um, so again, not specific skills that I would say a young lawyer needs to learn and nothing that you can certainly like watching YouTube video to um, <laughs> brush up on, but you know, not being afraid to challenge some of the biggest assumptions that those of us that have been doing this for many, many years um, have ingrained in us. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, when I'm interviewing someone, I'm looking for resiliency and a person who can function on a, on a team in a, in a collaborative way. Those are really important because the skills that we will need to succeed 10 years from now are going to keep evolving. But if you're resilient and you can work on a team, you're well prepped for success. Hmm. Yeah, fair point. Uh, are there so to the extent that legal innovation, I guess capital L, capital I, is a movement? Are there any parts of it that you all see as less critical? Are there any parts of it that are hype? I'll say yes. There's lots of hype. I'll let Daryl talk about the hype because he's awesome on the hype. On the less critical piece, and that actually, I think. That's a tough question. Honestly, my honest answer is they're all critical, but it, it depends on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. So a particular solution or process, technology, AI, process mapping workflows, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all environment. Um, a solution might be irrelevant to a particular, you know, firm, a lawyer, a client, but critical to another. So, and we see that all the time in working with clients. They, each of them have unique needs and drivers and problems they're trying to solve. So I, it's not really answering your question fully, but I'd mm. say they're all critical depending on who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. But Kate, what about technology as a standalone tenant in innovation? Never. Bad, bad, bad. So, and that's mm. something that, you know, is a key part of, our innovation here at Oryx, we, we never start with technology hmm. because technology alone is never the solution and, in fact, will probably cause more problems. So you can buy the big shiny red sports car, the new <laughs> tool out there, but you have to have the people that know how to fix it, to drive it, and where to go sure. um, using yeah. the car metaphor. So we really take a, a, a broader view of designing a solution. Technology may be a piece of it, but the people and process have to go with it. So, you know, 
less critical would be a technology-only solution. Sure. Sure, and it's hard to think of something that there is currently more hype around than technologies like AI. Yeah, well, just think of the last process conference you attended. <laughs> I mean, there's a technology conference on every corner. Right, But yeah. if you throw an event to talk about process or Six Sigma methodology applied to law, um, you'll struggle to get an audience. And mm. that's unfortunate because, as Kate points out, that technology will often put the cart before the horse, and then you're trying to build a process around the wrong tech. Oh, and by the way, your cost, your total cost of ownership is often more than you expected also. Hmm. Yeah, as, a, as it relates to hype um, in legal innovation, it's, so legal innovation is clearly a movement. Hype is probably one of the leading characteristics of the movement. <laughs> and, you know, we, we love technology. This is not meant to, to ding technology by any means. We all spend our lives in it. We demo, you know, hundreds of tools a year. At least it feels that way. And um, it's changing the way we deliver legal services. But in their, um, in their enthusiasm to market, a lot of the tech providers have either oversold or broadly sold solutions as a one-size-fits-all. Um, and what we see are people who are newer to legal innovation, and maybe they went to Clock or another conference and they heard a panel or they saw a vendor and they learn that there's a magic button they can push and mm -hmm. all their problems go away. And so they button. come to us and they say, <laughs> I want that magic button. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and then you're talking them back um, from a magic button that doesn't exist yep. and trying to come up with a better solution. And that probably, you, you know, it's important that we, that we not lose the valuable baby in the hype bathwater. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much great tech. We're using a lot of it here. And, um, but not every tech tool is a good fit for your problem. And so thinking about that rationally and knowing, that's why testing is so important and having the data scientists and the techs, the tech folks we have here, um, our global operations center testing these tools, we can actually level set with someone and explain what is doable and what's hype. And mm -hmm. that's incredible. And I can't even imagine trying to, to face the, the 600 plus tools that we track um, in this market without being able to cut through that hype because you're just lost. Yeah. How important is this innovation? Are we right now where law firms need to change or die? So we have a client who is a product manufacturer and we had the privilege recently of being at a meeting where their senior executives were setting strategy and the general counsel made the comment that they are now as much a data company as they are a product company. Data drives how they can anticipate their clients' needs, how they can be more efficient, how they can develop new products. That is true in every industry that we see. And if you don't understand the transformation happening everywhere, if you don't understand the value of data, if you don't understand the impact of technology and automation in every industry, I'm not sure how you can best serve your clients, and that is our goal. You know, something else that's important here is to, if we're changing because we think we're going to die, to use that, that terrible, scary right. word, as a firm, <laughs> we're not having fun. We're in crisis mode. Right. Our adrenaline is kicking in. People are panicked and scared. That's not an environment where people change or show their best selves at work. So. Mm. At Oric, one of our key focus points is to stay ahead of 
where we think we need to be. Let us drive the change under Wendy's leadership, thinking about where we need to be one year from now, two years from now, three years from now, and has sort of working to our own uh, drumbeat rather than letting the market dictate where we need to be. Well, thank you so much, Wendy, Kate, and Daryl, for joining us. Uh, we really enjoyed our discussion about legal innovation. And if listeners want to follow more of your work, uh, where can they find you? So we all speak a bunch. Um, we write some, and we're on LinkedIn, You can, and we all tweet um, at Oric. Thank you all again. That was Wendy Butler-Curtis, Kate Orr, and Daryl Shetterly discussing legal innovation at Oric. Come back next week when we'll talk Iran sanctions with former head of OFAC and current co-head of Morrison Forrester's national security practice, John Smith. You've been listening to Law X.0 from Bloomberg Law. For more Bloomberg Law analysis, visit news.bloomberglaw.com slash Bloomberg hyphen law hyphen analysis. You can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dory underscore Goldstein. That's D-O-R-I underscore G-O-L-D-S-T-E-I-N. And I'm at Meg McAvoy, M-E-G-M-C-E-V-O-Y. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Amanda Icone, co-host of Talking Tax. Each week, we dig into the biggest tax and financial accounting challenges and opportunities from policy to on-the-ground realities. We bring you corporate leaders, accountants, and industry insiders. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. For more, check us out on news.bloombergtax.com.